me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's a great privilege to be here again on this Friday before Resurrection Sunday. It's always an honor to be with First Baptist Church, Tullahoma. You're always so very kind to me and my family, and as I've said before, I don't really know any other way to describe it, but in many ways it just feels like coming home when I'm asked to preach here. uh, Pastor Tom contacted me and suggested the text we're about to read. Uh, I've never preached uh, on uh, this particular text uh, I'm not sure that he could have asked me for a more difficult topic, um, and being that the Good Friday, the, the somber service, uh, is expected to be a more concise sermon, a, a homily, if you will, a, a sermonette uh, that makes the undertaking of this topic even more challenging. I understand the, the Good Friday service, the, the Holy Friday service, the crucifixion service, the somber service, um, it is meant to sober us and to hang heavy and to cause us to be solemn and for us to, to ponder and linger upon uh, the death of our Lord. Uh, but I also know the rest of the story. Uh, I know Sunday is coming and I want to preach the whole gospel story. Uh, so this is an added challenge for me as well. Uh, but, but seriously, please pray for me even now as the topic is difficult, my time is limited, uh, my mind and, and body are quite meager this evening. Um, and then the limits uh, to preaching, um, focusing on the death, uh, not preaching all the way through the resurrection and the exaltation and the ascension and the coronation and the intercession and the reign of our Savior, but focusing this evening upon the death. I need your prayers. We need God's grace. So let us pray. Oh God, we ask that you would that you would humble us, that we would receive what you would have for us through the preached word, that you would impress upon us by the Spirit our inadequacies, and that we would know that we will never find rest until we rest in you. Thank you, O God, for the blood. Praise you, O Son, for your humiliation. We thank you for the Spirit that indwells and seals every believer. Oh, in the mighty, victorious name of Jesus, the one who bled for us, who died, we pray. Amen. I hope you're there in Philippians chapter 2. We'll begin in verses 3, and we'll read through 11. And really tonight we're going to do well to just focus in on three verses. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Hear the words of God through the Apostle Paul. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, I confess that this is a a very deep and uh, rich topic. Uh, It's it's so mighty and majestic, these truths uh, that are contained herein. And it's, uh, it's, it's really overwhelming. It's, it's mind-blowing when we, we think about this. It, it, it's challenging. And no matter what I say or teach or preach tonight, uh, I, I just cannot do this text justice. Uh, you know, how can, how can the finite fully describe the infinite? Uh, this text, this truth, this, this doctrine that we've just read, no matter how long I take, no matter how many words I use tonight, uh, I will fall so short of the worthiness of this passage. So I want to encourage you to read and to reread and to read it over again throughout the rest of the week, asking God to illuminate the truths to you and to impress these truths upon your heart. So here in Philippians chapter 2, we we just read of the condescension. Uh, The saints of old would call it the humiliation of Christ. We We don't hear that phrase a lot. Sometimes we may hear the humility of Christ or the humbleness of Christ. Uh, but I believe the word humiliation uh, may even do us uh, a better in knowing that word. The humiliation of Christ, the humility of the eternal Son, of Jesus, of God himself. Uh, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Three beings, one God, all eternal, all God. Not three parts, but three persons, yet one God. The great mystery, the great wonder of the Trinity. So we just read God becoming man, these majestic words in, in verses 6 through 11. Uh, they're believed to be an early church hymn. And they were referred to as the Christ hymn uh, or the hymn to Christ. Uh, this song, it, it praises God because it exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really detailed, this passage of, of the great miracle of God becoming man, of Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, we see the descending of Christ from heaven to earth, the humiliation, lower and lower. Arriving at the cross. The Son of God came to earth as a man to save sinners. That's perfect humility. That's humble obedience. That's, that's infinite love. Humiliation of Christ. Well, we'll focus in on verses 6 through 8 tonight. 6 through 8 is Christ's humiliation in this hymn, if you will. And then verses 9 through 11 are the exaltation that we'll not be able to focus on tonight. Look with me at verse 6, please. Speaking of Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. We see that word form there, and it, it means the underlying reality. It means the essence. It's really the ongoing condition. It's, it's not just that Jesus was in appearance only or simply, but that he is the divine being, that Jesus is God. And he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, that equality with God. It it means in every sense 
Jesus is God, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that, that Jesus is truly God and truly man, that Jesus is, is very God and very man. And he didn't see it as something that could uh, be grasped, your version uh, may say, or robbery. Uh, that, that word's really the same there in the Greek. But Jesus, it means he had all the rights. He had all the privileges. He had all the honors of deity, of godness. And he was worthy of them because he is God. He did not cling to those privileges or hold on to that position, but he was willing to give them up for a time when he humbles himself to earth. Look at verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation. It means he made himself nothing. Literally, it means he emptied himself. He humbled himself. Jesus did, relinquishing his heavenly status not his divine being, still fully God. And we see that self-emptying and, and continue to look here. One, in, in taking. Taking the form of a bondservant. That's one way that he emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant. Look at the second way that he emptied himself. And in coming in the likeness of men. He came in the likeness of man. And then the third way we see that he emptied himself is that he was found. He was found, look at verse 8, in being found in appearance as a man. Jesus emptied himself. He did not stop being God. He did not trade his godness or his divinity for humanity. But he set aside many of his heavenly privileges and he put on humanity. Look again at verse 7. The end there, and coming in the likeness of men. Likeness here doesn't mean it's just similar, but it's actuality. He is truly human. While still being transcendent and over creation, and while still being God, Jesus became man. And then verse 8, as we look further at the humility of Christ. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Jesus made himself nothing. So we have this humiliation or this humbling of Jesus. Not simply just becoming a man, but, but further humiliation. Uh, not demanding his rights and his privileges, but further humiliation and subjecting himself to persecution and suffering at the hands of unbelievers. And then even further humility and that he dies as a criminal. And then more humiliation, it's on a cross... The crucifixion, the cruelest, most excruciating, most degrading form that even the Jews hated that manner of execution. Jesus Christ's humiliation is not just seen in him leaving heaven, but in his being born. A low condition of being born, being born under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, experiencing the wrath of God, the cursed death of the cross, and being buried, and then being under the power of death for a time. Jesus' humiliation born under the law. He must keep the law. He must satisfy the requirements of the law. He obeyed in our place. Hallelujah. He humbled himself in the life and in his death. You see, sometimes uh, it's often called the active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ. In his life, he actively kept the law. He did all that was right. He never failed. He actively kept the law, gaining for those and those only who believe eternal life. 
And then in his suffering, in his death, in his passive obedience, he allowed the suffering, he allowed the death in order to free us from eternal death. He died in our place. I don't know if we understand that. Jesus, fully God and fully man, died. We see his humiliation that he even came to earth, that he would even put on flesh. God, putting on flesh. Hebrews 2.14 says, Christ shared in the partaking on of blood and flesh. And then he was born. So all the difficulties of growing and learning, he didn't arrive a man, but he was born. Born in a low condition, he wasn't born to a wealthy ruler, he wasn't even born in his earthly parents' house. He was born under the law, he was born under the sentence of condemnation, he stood under the doom of the law, and he was born to die. And his birth happened because it was always intended that he would be a bloody sacrifice. And as soon as he was born, justice took hold of him and it would not relinquish him until justice had been satisfied. Another aspect of the humiliation of Christ was that he was born of a sinful woman. God is holy. I think we've lost that in many of our churches. But God is holy. And any amount of sin is so vile, a disgrace to him. And Christ humiliated, he humbled, he abased himself to be born from Adam's sinful humanity. What what a wonder that a clean thing can come from an unclean thing. Mary having the stain and pollution of sin on her, giving birth to the sinless one, Jesus Christ, without sin. Do not be confused on that. And yet he is now intimately related to sinners. For whose sake he came into the world. That's a humiliation. And then to be born not to human nobility, but to an earthly father with a laborious career. The time of his birth was a humiliation. He was born to a people whose nation was under the dictatorship of the Roman Empire. He was born in humiliation by being born to a woman who was not married, in a stable, not a palace, not an ornate cradle, but a major to animals as attendants instead of beautiful clothes, swaddling rags, further humiliation, and that there was not even any room for him in the end. Well, time limits me. We must move at a faster clip here. Uh, Jesus lives a life of humiliation with no bed and no home. Remember what Jesus said when he walked this earth? He says, foxes have holes or foxes have dens and birds of the air have their nest, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What humiliation? The creator and no bed, no home. Throughout his life, Jesus is humiliated. He's always misunderstood. When he teaches the hard things, the Bible says that many of his followers left him that day and followed him no more. He was teaching a hard teaching and they left him. His disciples don't get it most of the time. The 12 don't. John 7, 5 says that even Jesus' brothers did not believe on him. He was falsely accused, falsely judged, accused of being of Satan, condemned, humiliated. His closest disciples fall asleep on him time and time again. He asks them, he says, can you pray and can you watch just one hour? And then they humiliate him and give him no comfort and fall asleep. He's betrayed by one of the twelve. 
humiliation in a public arrest, in a false imprisonment, falsely accused, condemned, sentenced, abandoned by all of his followers. He is spit upon, he is mocked. The ones who were just greeting his arrival days ago saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, they're now screaming at the top of their lungs, crucify him. Oh, the humiliation of Christ. His beard is plucked out. He is whipped. There are thorns jammed into his skull. A sign above his head is mocking him. He is spit. He is cursed. He is ridiculed. He is derided, afflicting him, striking him with a rod on the head, insulting him, laughing at him, then stealing his clothes. He is stripped naked. He has nailed his hands and his feet. He is bloodied and bruised, oppressed and afflicted. No physical strength. He had just fasted the night before. And the Bible says in the Old Testament, predicting of the Savior, it said even his tongue clung to his jaw. Jesus, fully God and fully man. The one who created this universe, who hung every star, who counts every step of ours according to Job, who knew every head on every man and woman and still knows every hair on every head, who spoke the very world into existence, who continues to uphold all of creation by his spoken power of his word, And he is humiliated by mere creatures. Those that he created. The ones he created. The ones that he is perpetually giving life to. And his own people, the Jews, demanding his death. Humiliation. Humility. The humbleness. And then murdered on a cross. A cross that he carried until he could walk no longer amongst criminals, no less. And then further humiliated by having the wrath of God poured out on him. And in some sense, being completely forsaken by the Father, did he not cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then dying under great sorrow and distress of mind, all the pain in his body, bones out of joint, flesh ripping, and then even in and then even after his death, there is more humiliation. Not just death, but a violent death. A spear jabbed into his side and then not even owning his own burial plot. But church, let us remember that in the life and in his death, he pays for the transgressions of his people. He really makes an end to our sins. He reconciles the the debt of their iniquities, of our iniquities. And he brings forth an everlasting righteousness. Jesus completes the transaction, the business of reconciliation. Making things right. Putting creatures back in a harmonious relationship with their creator. He pays for, he atones for the sins of every single person that will ever trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. It's... It's the death of death. It's the death of sin. It's the death of the curse of God upon humanity for the people of God. It's the death of death and the death of Christ. Do not forget that all Christ's suffering on the cross, it was necessary. It was necessary for your salvation. This is the one payment that God will accept. It is the only payment that God will accept. It's the great sacrifice in which our eternal life depends. Without going to the cross, without Christ dying and suffering in our place, the just dying for the unjust, 
there would be no hope for us. But Jesus' heart was set on salvation. He opened a fountain for all sin to be washed away by his blood. Do you, do you ever think, let's be honest, be very honest. Do you, do you ever think that God the Father is, is too high and holy to care for such miserable and corrupt creatures as yourself? You sometimes feel like that. You know, maybe God really don't care about me. Well, I want to encourage you tonight. Look at the cross and know that the Father cares. Do you ever think that you are just too bad to be forgiven? You're just, you're just too wicked to be saved. Well, look at the cross and the blood Jesus shed and know that that is the only way for the most very vilest of all sinners to be saved. And then do you sometimes just, you just worry and you just doubt and you, and you fear? Well, then look to the cross. And be assured that Jesus, who endured the pain of the cross, who, who endured the agonies of the cross, that he will surely, he will surely content your heart. And he will give you every, every good thing that he knows that you need. He will not keep one good thing from you in his infinite wisdom. Christian, do you fret that you're secure in your salvation? Well, look at the cross of Christ and be confident that what Jesus paid, what he paid for, even while we were lost sinners, that Christ died for us. And Jesus will surely keep you all the way to the end. Jesus paid dearly for your salvation. And if you will but believe, you will never be lost. Look at verse 8 with me. And being found as Christ Jesus, in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Jesus, fully divine, fully human, the Son, humbled himself. And how we should meditate very slowly how we should mull this over and over in our hearts, how we should continue to marvel at this reality. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, becomes a man. He puts on flesh, humbling Himself. He is emptying Himself, not of His divinity, not of being God. Jesus is still God, but He's, he's humbling Himself of the very privilege of not being a human. So he's emptying himself by taking on our humanity with its pain and with its afflictions and with its limitations and with its temptations. And then we see here in verse 8, he humbles himself by becoming obedient. You know, for us to humble ourselves, this is what what humility means. To, To humble yourself means to acknowledge God as Lord and to obey him as a servant. Say, I want to be humble. Acknowledge God as Lord, as the sovereign ruler of all things and your life, and then obey Him as a servant. 
But is that not what Jesus Christ does? He says, I have come to do the will of the Father. And then he takes on the form of a bondservant. And he's born in the likeness of men. But this humiliation of Christ, this, this humility, this, this humbling himself, you know, it doesn't just stop at obedience, but he humbles himself in obedience to the point of death. And, that, and that's authentic obedience. That's, that's real obedience. Real obedience endures in obedience. It, it lasts in obeying. It, you know, it's not just for a time. You know, as long as it's comfortable, I'll obey. Christ did not humble himself just until it got tough, until it got a little uncomfortable. But Jesus humbles himself in obedience to the Father, to his earthly parents, in his childhood, in his adolescence. He humbles himself in Nazareth and in Galilee and all the way to Jerusalem, to the upper room, to the garden, through the sweat drops of blood, even to death on a cross. What humiliation. How cruel. Suffering. Shame. Public derision, scorn, the torture before onlookers, all the way to death on a cross. No sin in Jesus. Tempted in every way, yet without sin, and yet he humbles himself to death. Christ died. So what is the humiliation of Jesus? He empties himself of his divine privileges. He's no longer free from abuse and suffering. He takes on the form of a servant. Remember, this is Jesus who who is infinitely perfect. He is totally true and trustworthy. There is no sin in him. He makes himself nothing. He voluntarily lowers himself to serve sinners to die in their place. And then in his lowliness, if you can only hear one thing tonight, listen to this, please. In his lowliness, he makes relief of the burden of sin possible for us. If Jesus had not been obedient even to death on the cross, then we would be eternally crushed under the weight of sin, under God's judgment. Under God's holy, righteous wrath. And so we cannot, brothers and sisters, we must not. Jesus commands that we we not skip over or we forget about the death. And that's one of the functions, that's one of the reasons here of the Lord's Supper. Is to remember the death of Christ. And if Jesus tells us to remember his death, does that not imply that we're able to forget his death? Does that not imply that we're even prone to forget his death? He had to give his church something to remember his death by. Have you forgotten the humiliation of Jesus? You just kind of skip over that. Have you forgotten about the death of Christ? Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that you 
would remind us of the humiliation lower and lower and lower even to death on a cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that you have given your church this wonderful ordinance of the Lord's Supper that we would not be a forgetful people, but that we would remember. Enable us to obey you in that remembrance that Jesus died for sinners. That's whose name we pray. Amen. As you prepare your hearts for the Lord's Supper tonight, I want to remind you of a few things. And what we'll do in just a moment is, is this is a somber service. As you can come as an individual or you can come as a family. There'll be deacons here serving the cup and the bread. You'll come soberly, reverently, quietly, and you'll partake of the elements. If you need prayer, if you'd like to speak with one of the pastors, just let one of the deacons know, and they'll, they'll grab us. And what you'll do here in a moment is you'll partake of the elements here at the table, and we ask that you quietly dismiss yourself immediately from the auditorium. If you want to fellowship or talk, you can be in the lobby or outside. But in a moment, we'll, we'll ask you to come to the table. You'll partake here, and then you'll immediately and quietly dismiss as you allow the heaviness of the Lord's death to hang. But as you prepare your hearts now to take the Lord's Supper, I need to remind you of a few things. The Lord's Supper is not for perfect people. It's for weak and feeble sinners who have given all to Christ. And we're commanded in Scripture that we examine our relationship with God. That means we look upward. Are we in real intimate communion with Him, or is there some separation due to sin? We need to look outward. Is there any division between us and another brother and sister? Then we must look inward. Is there unconfessed sin in our lives? Are Are there idols in our heart? Are there private sins that we've kept hidden from public? The Bible says to confess those sins. When we take this supper, we should remind ourselves that Jesus is our strength. That Jesus is our sustenance. And by his death, that we think on and we meditate on tonight, he has brought life. And as we approach the Lord's table, there are tears of sorrow. And there are also smiles of joy. And we'll do this as he has commanded his church until he returns. And I must give you a warning. It's contained in scripture. If you're not a Christian, the Lord's table is not for you. But it is a great reminder to you of what Jesus has done on the cross for your sins. If you'll believe him. So you may not be able to take tonight if you're not a Christian. But it's my prayer and I have prayed for you today that the next time we partake of the Lord's table that you will be eating with us as someone who has trusted in Jesus alone for your salvation. And what the Lord's Supper does is it reminds us of the most terrible, of the most painful, the most sinful, most sorrowful act in the history of the world. The death of Christ.
And though it should bring us great sorrow, it is a sorrow that is, is permeated, it is saturated with peace. Peace in Jesus Christ. And so if you'll allow me to close with a short hymn from Isaac Watts, and then we will partake of the elements. Excuse me, this is John Newton looking at the cross. If you'll close your eyes and prepare now to partake of the Lord's Supper, and let this be your prayer. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my last breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayest live. Thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue. Such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit now is filled that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. Oh God, prepare our hearts to receive your table. We thank you for the blood that was spilt without the... Spilling of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. We thank you for your body, O Lord Jesus Christ, that was broken in our place. And as we take this bread and this cup, may we remember, O God, may we remember our precious sacrifice, Jesus. And O God, may we tremble at the thought of ever forgetting him. ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, the table is open. You are invited to come as a Christian believer. You'll partake of the bread and the cup here at the table as an individual, as a family, and then quietly, solemnly, please be dismissed. The table is open. You may come.